Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Up to Some Good. I have to apologize for not uploading a new episode for so long. The past few weeks have been quite hectic for me because I just relocated from Hong Kong to London and I've had quite a lot of things to arrange and therefore have not had time to podcast. I'm very excited to be recording this episode right now, the first episode I'm recording in London. So I'm basically in London to find a full time job in sustainability. And while I'm here, I'll also be connecting with lots of people in the social impact and sustainability space, recording more podcasts, and also exploring different sustainability initiatives and events and the various plant-based restaurants and cafes in the city. So if you're listening and if you're in London right now, definitely send me a DM. I'd love to have a coffee with you, especially right now as the city is just opening back up. I actually just went to a short film screening last week hosted by Minute Shorts in East London, and it featured some very thought-provoking short films exploring sustainability and the state of our environment, as well as climate justice. One of my favorite short films that I watched was by Joy Barrow and Lucy Jane called Dive Tierra Bomba Dive which is a short film about how a Colombian woman engages her community to save their coral reefs, which are very vital to the survival of that community. I'll be posting more about this uh, a bit later. But for now, I want to dive right into the podcast. My guest today is Anushka Purohit, a student from the University of Science and Technology in Hong Kong, who has founded a company called Breer, a company that brews beer from bread, from leftover pieces of bread and thereby solving the huge problem of food waste in Hong Kong. Anushka launched Breer along with three co-founders who are also university students. Born and raised in the city, she's always wanted to find ways to give back, whether it's through volunteering or contributing to South China Morning Post's Young Post. And during an evening at the HKUSD campus, Anushka and her friends actually decided to spend some time at a bakery because everything else was closed. And seeing some leftover bread being thrown away, they suddenly had the idea of using bread to brew beer, which is really, really smart. I, and I think only engineering students can come up with that idea. And using the prize money that they won from a previous social innovation challenge, Anushka and her co-founders Naman, Devansh, and Suyash launched Breer. And with Breer, they want to show that it's possible to both have a good time and do good. In this case, it's by helping to reduce the immense amounts of food waste in Hong Kong. Without further ado, I want to uh, welcome Anushka onto Up to Some Good. Hi, Anushka. Welcome. I'm so glad that we're finally able to speak. Hi, Claudia. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I'm glad we were able to figure it out. You know, you with relocating and me with being in quarantine, but I'm excited for this. Me too. So before we go into depth about like how you launched your business, I actually wanted to know apart from beer, what's your favorite type of beer? Ooh, that's a good question. So I think I have obviously naturally given that I'm now kind of in the industry, a lot of different options, but I'm a sucker for pina coladas. And I know that there's a brand new pina colada oh. sour beer. So I'm really dying to get my hands on it as soon as I'm out of quarantine to try that. And hopefully that'll become my favorite type of beer. Wow. And is that a, a Hong Kong brand? It is. Yeah. It's relatively new. I think it's a limited edition. I don't mm -hmm. remember um, what company, but I know it's a pina colada sour. So Right. That that does sound quite appealing. <laughs> so let's start off with talking about how you first became aware of the huge problem of food waste in Hong Kong. Yeah, definitely. Well, for this, we're going to have to flash back to when I was just 10 years old. So for my 10th birthday, my parents actually took me to Starbucks for the very first time. And, you know, while I was getting myself a nice Java chip frappuccino, I actually noticed that the barista had to take all the sandwiches and all the other bread in, you know, that glass container and put it into a black rubbish, bin, rubbish bag. And I remember asking my dad, you know, why is she throwing all that food away? It looks pretty good to eat. And he told me that when stores close at night because the food doesn't get sold, they have no choice but to throw it away. And that's when I first came face to face with a huge food wastage problem in Hong Kong. And, you know, needless to say, as I grew, the problem grew as well. And it wasn't until, like you mentioned in the introduction, after my exams with my friends that we went to celebrate um, by buying bread at a bakery where I came face to face with the problem once again. Mm -hmm. And it kind of sent me spiraling into that deja vu of I've seen this before. The problem still exists. What can we do about it? Mm -hmm. And was it at the same time that you suddenly came up with the idea of creating beer from bread? 
So similar, yeah. So essentially how it happened was the four of us kind of created our team first. We didn't have an idea. And so the four of us knew, okay, we want to take part in this social innovation competition. How can we take part in it? We need a solution. Now, what's a solution? We had no idea. So, you know, as friends, we were kind of just celebrating the fact that we were done with the exams. It's not mm-hmm, really thinking mm-hmm. about what our solution was going to be but it just so happened that we saw that problem so we knew okay this is the problem we want to solve and you know a week later when we were in Langkawi Fong which is the party hub in Hong Kong and one of us was drinking beer we put two and two together and we realized wait bread and beer have the same constituent elements so technically Mm -hmm. you could use one to make the other and that's when we kind of you know did some research on it and like you rightly said we used the funds that we won from that social competition itself to make it happen and it right. worked so we thought okay let's take this somewhere oh my god that that's honestly genius i'm actually curious like are is there are there other companies out there who use other ingredients or types of food to create beer as well so in Hong Kong, there isn't another company doing anything like this. In Singapore, there is one called Crust, and they also do something similar, collect bread um, to brew beer, mm-hmm. but they buy the bread. So that's one difference. They don't actually okay. collect the- It doesn't the, solve um, a problem. Yeah, there's no social mm-hmm. element to it. Mm-hmm. But then there's another one in the UK, which is actually where this idea first um, came about, called Toastale, which, which is a nonprofit right. organization. Toastale, it sounds familiar. Yeah, and they actually do the same thing, but the only difference is they don't do it for profit. So they're kind of, you know, it's a, we've spoken to the team actually. It's a group of, you know, individuals really passionate about brewing. They all, you know, left their jobs and retired. So they decided to come together and do something fun. And that's how they started Toastale. Oh, I see. So so you can say that Breer is the first brand that creates bread, beer from bread that is for social impact, that solves a social issue basically that's also a social issue right, and right. It's for profit yeah well congratulations mm-hmm. it's honestly very inspiring and very exciting and i'm super excited for you <laughs> thank you so much i was wondering i mean like creating craft beer it takes up space and time so as you guys are all still students did you use that prize money to also hire a team to do this or how does it work like day to day So yeah, when we first stepped foot into this, obviously, you know, when you come up with an idea, it's a lot more easy to say, oh, this will be easy. We'll speak to these many bakeries and get this much bread and then brew this much beer and make it happen. But it wasn't until we actually had to start sending those emails to bakeries to get the Mm -hmm, bread mm -hmm. and then sending emails to breweries to, you know, maybe work with us that we realized, okay, it's not going to be all that easy. So in the beginning, it was definitely tough, but we went for a very different model. So of course, it wasn't feasible for the four of us to you know, invest in starting up a brewery of our own at a very small scale, because of course, we're all familiar with the fact that Hong Kong rent is insane. Mm -hmm. And to start with, we're students, you know, we have no, you know, source of income. And so what we decided is we're going to follow a contract brewing model, which essentially means that you pay and commission these expert brewers, so breweries in this case, to rent their license and help get their help in making your beer and you can formulate the recipe and give it to them. So of course there is a little bit of due diligence involved where you have to sign NDAs and you need to make sure that, you know, you're being foolproof with the process, but it helps because you're not making that huge capital investment of, you know, renting out a brewery and renting out that space, but at the same time you get to experiment and lucky for For us, when we started, it was just the onset of the pandemic. So a lot of breweries in Hong Kong had a lot of idle capacity that they had to use up anyway. So, you know, the fact that there were four young students looking to try something new Mm -hmm. uh, was good for them because we were going to pay them. So they were able to use their production lines. And it was an interesting idea. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that's so great that at least you can work with breweries that are willing to give you that space to experiment. Yeah. And Of course, I can imagine that contacting the local bakeries would be another huge challenge because knowing Hong Kong, some bakeries are quite small and run by a family. So Mm -hmm. I don't think they, they even use email. How did you overcome this? Like, did you have to go to them in person to talk to them or was this all done digitally mainly? 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier that the pandemic helped us out, but it was a little bit of a blessing and a boon at the same time, because before what happened is if you wanted to meet someone, you could easily just show up to their office mm-hmm. and, you know, take five minutes of their time and say, can I just, you know, explain this to you? Or you could give them a call, tell them, okay, maybe I can tell you this further in a meeting over coffee. And then you organize that coffee chat and then you get to somewhere. But because of the pandemic, that wasn't happening. So a lot of people weren't going to office anymore. There weren't people at, you know, places where you could find them. So So the only convincing that we could do was over the phone and over Mm. the phone, when you speak to someone, there's only so much you can gauge. You don't know what they look like, what they speak like, who they are, whether they're passionate about it. And, you know, a lot of basically apprehension that comes with it, which is understandable. So for us, it was a little difficult because we are a team of four Indians to begin with, but I really do identify as a Hong Konger. So I can speak Mm -hmm. the local language and, you know, I've been here for a long time. So I knew that if they saw me face to face and I was speaking their language, it would be a lot easier for these local businesses to realize, okay, this is someone we can trust. It's not just, you know, four students who are trying to take unnecessary time of ours and, you know, waste it. And they'll say they'll do this, but then they won't end up doing it. And then they'll, you know, cut waste yeah, with us. Yeah. But it's actually people who are looking to make a difference. So it was a little difficult in the beginning. There were people asking us, where are you going to get the bread from? Okay, what happens um, after we give you the bread? Who are you going to give it to? Are you really going to brew the beer? Or are you just going to keep it for yourself? So there were a lot of yeah, questions that they had. I can imagine. But Yeah, but I think after we were able to first um, do the first batch of beer, it was much easier because now when we went to every bakery or brewery, we were able to show them the product and say, look, we made it. We got some bread. We made the beer. Now we need your help because we want to make this bigger and better. And then they would see the product and say, "Okay, makes sense. Let's see what happens. And I mean, luckily, the model is such that we're not asking them for much because if it wasn't for us, they would have to pay people to go and throw the large amounts of bread that they have. Mm -hmm, So that's mm -hmm. kind of how it works in Hong Kong because there Mm. is so much uh, food wastage. You can't just dispose of it anywhere. Okay. Get um, people to come and they bring their own vans or trucks, depending on the amount. And then you pay them and they take your waste and they go and dispose of it properly. So that is also an added cost. And so, you know, we were telling them, you don't need to do any of that. Just give us, the things that you would throw away anyway and mm-hmm, we'll do mm-hmm. the rest right so it was a little bit of an easier decision for them to make yeah right oh I actually was not aware that people had to pay other other companies or other individuals in order to get rid of their food waste I think there are licensed people whose okay. job is, is to you know go to these large kind of groups that have food wastage mm-hmm, to collect mm-hmm. all of it and then dispose of it because I you know see. we're talking bakeries at large scales and yeah. you know people supply bread or you know other food to a lot of different outlets around the city and usually how it works is let's say somebody sells their bread to a supermarket the supermarket has a contract with that seller of let's say keeping the item for a week until Mm -hmm, you know it's mm -hmm. nearing its expiry date Mm -hmm. and if the product doesn't get sold they accumulate it and send it back to like the headquarters of the seller and now it's the onus is on the seller to decide what to do with it next so obviously Ah, because it's nearing its expiry date um, you can't you know go and resell it or do anything with it so the only option you're left with is to discard it yeah and that also is a lot of transportation like if the supplier has to transport it to the seller and it doesn't end up being sold they have to transport it back to the seller's headquarters supplier's headquarters like that's double the carbon emissions exactly Wow. Okay. So would you say that the hardest, like the biggest challenge for Breer so far is really to, to contact the bakeries and make um, things work with the bakeries? Or did you come across another challenge that you thought was very difficult to overcome? I think our biggest challenge was really the four of us realizing, you know, when we kind of transitioned from this being a project to like a business where real money is involved, because I'm, I'm, I think you can imagine as students, it's again, like I said earlier, it's easy to say these things, you know, when there isn't much risk attached to it, it's easy to throw words around. So I remember before we actually had, you know, the idea in place. So when we were pitching for that very first social innovation competition, we were easily saying, we're going to have 30 bakeries on board. We're going to get this many kilograms of bread and we're going to make 150,000 liters of beer. And it was so easy to say because we'd never tried it and Mm -hmm. there was no pressure. But now looking back at that in hindsight, I know that saying, 
amazing that you were able to contact 30 bakeries and brew 150,000 um, liters of beer is a lot. It's a huge amount. And 150,000 liters. Can you put that in context a little bit? So how many bottles would that be approximately? So a bottle is 330 milliliters of beer. Okay. Usually. Yes. And 150,000 liters is a lot more than oh that. Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so even okay, from so, liters to milliliters. Yeah. Yeah. So it was the decision to, to scale it up. That was the hardest um, decision to make. Right. Like no, knowing the difference between just being able to say that and having been through it and then mm-hmm. having to make the next decision. And just for us, because for a long time, when we approached beer, we weren't really sure what the future had for us because mm-hmm. obviously we had, you know, academics on the side, we were still getting our undergraduate degrees, all four of us. Of course. So we weren't sure how our priorities would line up. We weren't sure if it would become a big enough thing for us to have to dedicate a lot more time to it. Or if it was like, you know, one time stint, we did that one social innovation challenge, it went well, and that was it. So mm-hmm, I think really, mm-hmm. you know, the uncertainty and us not knowing what to expect from it was the biggest challenge to overcome. But I'm glad we overcame it because now the four of us are very optimistic about it. And we kind of are carving the vision for it as we go, as opposed mm-hmm. to previously mm-hmm. being blindsided and, you know, just going with the flow. Yeah, yeah. And how do the four of you divide the roles between each other? Yeah. Um, so just for namesake, we have all those fancy C-suite names. So if we go by that, I'm the CEO, um, Naman is the COO, Suyash is the CFO, and Devansh is the CMO. And um, essentially, these were kind of just further extensions of our personalities. So Devansh, for example, he's majoring in marketing and he really enjoys, you know, the aspect of thinking about how brands communicate and how brands should reflect themselves. And so it just, it was an easy decision for us to make, you know, him in charge of all the brand Mm -hmm. visuals and how we communicate ourselves as a company. And then Suyash is actually studying economics, which has a lot of intricacies of, you know, the numbers and how you make supply and demand work together and kind of get that sweet spot of the equilibrium. Mm. And so he naturally took on the role of CFO. Naman's at the time, he didn't have a major. Now he's majoring in management, but he's much more of an operations guy. So he likes to handle a lot of the real world applications, you know, what's happening on ground, the meetings and things like that. And for me, I think, I didn't really know what my role should be because like I said, I'm an engineering student that doesn't really fit in the context of Breer, but Mm -hmm. I like helping out with kind of all those aspects. And so I guess, you know, like I said, these are just names for the namesake, but the four of us always are helping out with really all the aspects. So if there is a marketing decision or a marketing Mm -hmm, call, mm -hmm. all four of us will be on it, not just a bunch and stuff like that. Yeah, it's all about working as a team. Well, I know you guys have just started last year but in hindsight now what would be something that you wish you had known earlier before launching Breer? Well that's a tough question I think the importance of just the know-how of business because I think sometimes what we feel and what we've realized is at the end of the day as much as we try to you know deny it or ignore it we are still students and people obviously see us as students Mm -hmm, first mm -hmm. and then people trying to you know make a business work yes And it's easy to sometimes then, you know, lose track or need to have difficult conversations. And it's just hard doing it at my age with somebody who is, you know, a lot older than me, because naturally you feel a sense of pressure knowing that they have so much more experience than you. Mm -hmm, They've mm -hmm. obviously been in the industry so much longer than you, but it's, you know, knowing that you're going to have to put your foot down and step down and say, no, this is what it is. And this is, you know, how we want it to be. So I wish someone would have told me in the past that you need to be mentally prepared to have those Mm -hmm. difficult conversations, to make these difficult decisions and just to have the clarity. So I remember, you know, people always talk about the importance of legality and having non-disclosure agreements or Mm -hmm. having, you know, certain legal agreements in place just for the ease of moving forward. And I think for us, we had to see it the hard way because there came a point where, you know, we were so comfortable with talking about our idea and how we were doing things Mm -hmm. that it could have just so happened and someone would have could have taken our idea. Right. That would suck, obviously, because it's something Mm -hmm. that we saw through and we did the hard work and, you know, saw the highs and lows of. And for someone to reap the fruit that you sowed is obviously not a great feeling. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Sometimes we had to basically learn things Mm -hmm. the hard way but I think that's what brought us um, where we are today Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and are you actually looking to to patent the process of producing Breer 
It's not patented yet. The interesting thing about patents, and this is where we're not sure, is that some people tell us that in order to get a patent, you first have to release your IP out into the public, mm. just so people are aware aware of what, what is already patented and therefore mm. what they can't yeah. take. But then some people say that's not the case. So we're not sure. So our kind of notion with that is we do not want to put anything out on public. We kind of want to go the Coca-Cola way and keep it a business secret. So mm. right now, only the four of us know about it. And that's going to be the way forward yeah, for a long yeah. time okay. and now of course we know the way you know we need to have those legal yeah. in place and NDAs and whatnot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so we have that bread and butter sorted right. but yeah I think we're probably going to keep it the business secret mm-hmm, way mm-hmm. right and this is just something I'm curious about like in terms of the flavors of the beer does it actually have any hint of bread like does it taste anything like bread or like do you have to add any flavorings to cover the flavor of bread or what do you do i wish we were still in hong kong i would have loved to have you try i know i would have loved to (laughs) yeah but to the best of my knowledge and when i tried it all bias aside i couldn't tell that it was made of beer and that's also the feedback that we've received from a lot of people that have tried it and i think the main reason for that is the way we come up with every recipe is we first understand the flavor profile of the bread that we're getting and Mm -hmm. then we cater the type of beer that we're brewing based on the bread. So for example, some of the first products that we did were um, Sensession, which was a Session IPA, so an Indian pale ale. And the bread we used in that was a Mediterranean toast. So the bread already came preloaded with onions and tomatoes and a lot of flavoring. Ah. And so in order to, you know, tone that down and balance it in the beer, we added lactose to the beer. So Mm. that's, and that's why we chose the Session IPA style. So that's kind of how we match that flavor profile versus when we did our our ale. So we have a product called Ale 52, which is a spin on 852. Mm-hmm. And when we did that, I love that bread- Ale 52. <laughs> yeah. That's very smart. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when we did the bread for that, it was a dark cry bread. So dark cry bread is usually already in itself a very Mm -hmm. monotonous, yeah, like a malty Mm -hmm. monotonous kind of flavor, not much going on. And so we kept it very medium and we did a pale ale with it, like a simple pale ale. So depending on the type of bread, we would pick the type Mm -hmm. of beer. And then if we really feel that, you know, there can be an added punch there, then we choose the type of hops. So hops is what flavor beer. And yeah, and then if needed, lactose. But that's the only lactose beer we've done. Everything else is vegan. Oh, I see. Oh, everything else is yeah. vegan. Yeah. That's great. I mean, that also caters to uh, the market, the growing plant-based vegan market right now yeah. as well. But it sounds like there's a lot of chemistry involved. But to my knowledge, none of you are actually chemistry students, right? No. I mean, I did, guess did you I'm guys... probably the closest mm-hmm. as an engineering student. But yeah, none of us are majoring in chemistry. Right. But you guys experimented and did all the testing by yourself. Yeah. So in terms of the science, it's not that difficult. So it's Mm -hmm. mainly just that the bread essentially just replaces the barley in beer. So beer is actually only made of three Mm -hmm. things, barley, Mm -hmm. malt, and hops. Right. And so you replace one of them, barley, with with the bread because it has the same element. And um, that's kind of it. That's basically the only change there is. The extension of that and, you know, the knowledge of how brewing actually works is what we, of course, in the beginning were lacking. But the four of us really prided ourselves on making sure that we went the extra mile to learn about it. So we took, you know, an online brewing class. We've hired a consultant just to Mm -hmm, teach us mm -hmm. how to brew beer and, Mm -hmm. you know, like the nitty gritties and the behind the scenes of brewing beer. So Mm -hmm. now we can actually understand and talk jargon. Mm -hmm. And actually, you guys are professional brewers. Yeah, <laughs> almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also um, I'm aware that you guys will be launching a brewer app soon as well. Can you guys can you tell me more about that? Yeah, for sure. So when we first started, we really wanted some kind of tech aspect to it. Of course, with my bias as an engineering student, I knew it was important to bank on that trend, but more so because a huge part about our brand is connecting our consumers to our cause. Mm -hmm. And so giving people a way that they can understand what it is that they're part of, what this movement is about. Mm -hmm. So if you look at all our bottles and all our cans, they have unique QR codes on them. So the QR code, when you scan it, will tell you what beer you're drinking, what's in the beer, where the bread came from, who helped collect the bread, you know, the flavor profile, the taste profile, and more importantly, what difference you're making in the world just by drinking it. So it'll tell you how much bread you saved, how many carbon dioxide emissions you saved, you know, how much water was saved. So when you're drinking it, you actually also know what difference you're making Mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. the beer that Mm -hmm. you're drinking. 
And so we wanted to further extend that by giving people who were actually really passionate about this a platform where you know they can be part of like a loyalty program and learn about each Mm -hmm. other or share their feedback on the beer but more so we actually have this interesting ecosystem called beer runners so one of the most difficult parts that we had to overcome was how do we you know plan the logistics of collecting the bread and getting it delivered because of course that's also Mm -hmm. added costs on our part Mm -hmm. to hire those vans and get them to pick things up and drop them off so we came up with this ecosystem called Breer Runners, where, you know, students, whether they're school students, college students, or young professionals, so people like you and I, when we have a little bit of free time, you can just volunteer and you go to a bakery at its closing time, you collect the bread for us. And then this is where the app comes in. So all the communication happens on the app and it's all real time. So let's say I reach the bakery I just, I have like my own to-do list on the app. I just press check and then the respective stakeholders will know that, okay, the bread has been collected from this bakery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So say for example- So it's like everybody's connected off. on the platform. Exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So like if that bread needs to be dropped off to a brewery, the brewery knows, okay, this person has collected the bread. So they must be on the way now. And the person then goes and drops the bread off to the brewery and that's it. And then of course, when they mark it as check there, we know that, okay, the bread's gone from here to there. So that was our goal with the app. That's very clever. But that also is a lot more data that you have to, first of all, to to find out about and to manage. Because you said that you also document who produced the bread, where the bread is for, from, and also like how much um, water you, you saved and carbon emission mm-hmm. that was reduced. So how do you calculate all of these things? Do you guys also split it between all four of you? Yeah. So to start off with, because right now we aren't obviously doing as many brews, like we're not brewing twice a week or anything like Mm -hmm. that. It's easier to keep track of those numbers Mm -hmm. because we know what our expected amount of water to be used in the beer, um, the Mm -hmm. beer brew was and what we used um, is. And so we can Mm -hmm. make that difference. But going ahead in the long term, we actually do want to partner with a company like Turnkey in Hong Kong, who Mm -hmm. is a a waste management solution provider. So Mm -hmm. they essentially their job and, you know, they help you with keeping keeping track of your supply chain and seeing how you are contributing to the ecosystem while you do that. So mm-hmm. they come in and they they do in-depth calculations for you on how much bread, you know, you used and how that's affecting the environment, how much water you saved, how that's affecting the environment. And they give mm-hmm. you kind of your own carbon footprint breakdown. Right. And so that's definitely also something that we're going to look at. That's great to know that a company like Turnkey exists because I always feel, especially in Hong Kong, food waste is is an issue that is very much ignored like out of all the different sustainability mm-hmm. and environmental issues because in terms of sustainability a lot of people focus on food and maybe like plant-based and vegan yeah. because people ultimately enjoy food and it's easier to present food that looks good and tastes good but dealing mm-hmm. with the excess of food is something different like it's always considered negative so like what do you think are some of the biggest challenges in terms of reducing food waste in Hong Kong Well, I think first, I think to sum it up would be attitude and privilege. I think, you know, especially in Hong Kong, we don't realize how privileged we are to be able to make the decisions that we do. So if you take something as simple as a loaf of bread, we all know that, you know, we get loaves of bread at home. Our first choice will always be to have the meatier part of the loaf and not the sides. So Mm -hmm. if given a choice, if someone asked you, here's a sandwich made of the sides of the loaf and here's a sandwich made of, you know, the slices of bread in the middle, which one would you pick? Obviously, it would be the latter because people usually don't like to eat the ends of the bread. I actually do like it. Just a personal preference because it's quite chewy and I, I don't know. I just like the texture. Okay, yeah. that's great. Good to know. <laughs> but most people would, most you know, people they always yeah, shy away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so a small decision like that is actually such a huge problem because that's two slices of bread per loaf. Mm-hmm. And there are so many loaves of bread on a daily basis that are consumed in Hong Kong. So you can just imagine how all that food piles up, uh, literally. And so, you know, that's one. And the other the other thing about Hong Kong is also that we have such a culture where obviously within the Hong Kong culture, it's kind of ingrained that bread is something that is super, super great when it's fresh and in the morning, but towards the later part of the evening mm-hmm. or at night, you won't see people going to the bakery and picking up a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. It's more of, you know, breakfast culture where people are running late to work. They need something quick to grab. So mm-hmm. they go to their nearest bakery, they grab a slice of bread and, uh, you know, a loaf of bread or a pineapple bun or whatever it is. And that's it. They, they're done for the day. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's also a little bit in the culture and the fact that we give so much importance to this food item 
in the earlier part of the day, but towards the later part, Mm -hmm. it just becomes different. And then, of course, you know, again, with the same attitude and privilege point in Hong Kong, people are a lot more concerned about their health and, you know, the safety, which makes sense. But, you know, a model like, for example, in the US, when food from the previous day is sold again the next day, Mm -hmm. it's priced down. In Hong Kong, everyone has a spending propensity to know that they would still pay a little bit more to get the fresh piece Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. than pay a little bit less to get maybe a comparatively staler piece. And I think it's, you know, just ingrained in that culture. So, it's just a difference because the models that work in the Western world or the models mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. seem to be working elsewhere won't work in Hong Kong. And that's why it's important that we basically carve a solution for ourselves. I see. And do you know anything about where this food waste normally ends up? Does it just end up with the general trash or is there like a separate location in Hong Kong for specifically food waste. Unfortunately, it all goes straight to the landfills. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a shocking statistic that um, we came across when we were researching for Breer. In 2020, actually, the landfill capacity of Hong Kong, so there are three landfills, all of them were expected to completely be exhausted by the end of the year then. So luckily, Hong Kong braced itself and the government put in a few initiatives. So we didn't make that statistic come true. But now the statistic has moved on to being true in 2021. So by the end of this year, the landfill capacity in Hong Kong is expected to be exhausted. And a huge, Mm -hmm. huge chunk of that is food. I think Hong Kong wastes 3,600 tons of food Mm. every single day, which is a huge number. I know every time I tell people this, sometimes they go, are you sure it's a day? Are you sure it's not a week Mm -hmm. or it's not a month? So 3,600 tons. 3,600. Okay, that is is a huge amount. But going back to what you mentioned about, about the privilege, I also think, it's partly the education. It's about it's about knowledge. And I think a lot of Hong Kong people might not really choose to use their time to further investigate and they just, just make assumptions about things. And I think that's why like food and health-related education also plays a big part to reducing food waste. Mm-hmm. So like with with beer, when you sell the beer to the consumers, do you also try to educate them on like the reason you're doing this as well as the big issue of food waste in Hong Kong? Oh, 100%. I think Mm -hmm. the reason why people kind of respect our our brand or they're even interested in knowing about us is because if I pitch to someone and said, we're, you know, creating craft beer, they'd be like, okay, just another one of like the Mm -hmm. 40 others that there are in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. But because we say we use surplus bread to make the uh, craft beer, suddenly it adds a twist to it because obviously no one's done it before and no one's Mm -hmm. heard it before. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden people are interested to know more and they're intrigued because it's something different. And I think that's exactly what Hong Kong needs. Hong Kong thrives on innovation and hearing all these new ideas. New ideas, new stories. People are curious. Like you can see with all the, whenever there are new food trends, people just line up and and it will last for quite a few months. And it's because people are, attracted to novelty exactly. and and when one person talks about it they also want to try it it's like through exactly. word of mouth so yeah they want in on it <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely yeah. and i actually wanted to talk a little bit more about the idea of greenwashing because a lot of brands now they like to use the word sustainable because mm-hmm. like whether they really are sustainable or not, whether they care about the actual impact they make or not, they know that consumers are becoming more conscious and aware and this is a marketing tactic. But at the same time, a lot of consumers now are calling companies out for greenwashing, for claiming one thing and doing something else. Yeah. What does your team do to make sure that your mission is is clear, but at the same time avoid greenwashing and and avoid the fact like overly using sustainability terms to just make people think that you're using this as Mm -hmm. tactic yeah i think you know very apt example of buzzwords as well it's like the blockchain and the tech world everyone just likes to use it or machine learning you know yeah but i think if you see you know our tagline for breer is does good taste better and i think that literally embodies exactly what you said so the reason we came up with that is because we want people to remember that yes it does good it's contributing to society Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's helping with climate action it's reducing food wastage but at the end of the day it tastes better and that's the most important because when someone goes into a 7-eleven or a circle k to buy beer 
they're not so much there to know if mm-hmm. you're making a difference in the world or I if agree. you're sustainable. Yes. They're there because they want beer and the beer better that tastes good. good. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so we kind of wanted to reiterate that in our products. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, you know, we speak to people and that's the most fun part about how we do our sales. So like when we're doing a pop-up booth, there's a lot of communication back and forth. And, you know, people ask us questions about how we make it, so on and so forth. But after a point in time, we tell them and we pivot to talking just about the beer, because at the end of the day, that's the product and that's mm-hmm. what will make it break or, you know, sell. And so, yeah, I think the easiest way to avoid greenwashing is remember at your core what your mission is and let your actions speak louder than your words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, and I absolutely agree that like I, a product should have some sort of social impact and environmental impact, but it can't do that. Just the, ride on that. Exactly. It can't just ride on that. And quality is still just as important because ultimately, if you're asking consumers to pay a higher price for a product that they can get a lower, at a lower price and you better be able to justify why. And a lot of the time that comes down to education. And exactly. that's also like the bigger problem with the whole food system, right? The cost of food is so low because somewhere down the supply chain, some people are not being paid well or there are some processes that are exploited or not so sustainable. But mm-hmm. I think it's about slowly educating um, consumers about this, but it's definitely a step-by-step process. Baby steps. <laughs> yeah. And talking about food systems, is there a trend or trends in food waste or food systems that really excites you right now? Yeah, I think a for starters, what we've seen is after, you know, we started Breer, people are actually super interested in coming up with different ideas of, you know, if they have waste, how we can potentially turn it into beer or, you know, innovate with it. So even within our team, we know for a fact that beer is not the end. We don't want to stop here. So a funny story is while we were experimenting with bread beer, we actually ended up also experimenting with pizza crust and we made the oh my world's God. first pizza crust beer. Yes. So now we actually have two extensions. Because pizza crust is also bread right technically technically exactly yeah yeah. yeah. but obviously it's a different kind of bread and the Mm -hmm. way it's made is different because you naturally put oil and salt in the dough for pizza crust where Mm -hmm. usually for Mm -hmm. bread you don't and that adds in and factors into the process of making beer but yeah essentially so we came up with these two ways and that's when we realized you know what we want to do a lot more with this so now we have Breer, which is the bread beer line. We have Base, which is our pizza crust beer line. And so we thought- Oh, so you've already this- started that. Yeah, so okay, it's already okay. there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we tied both of these together by creating this parent company called the Able Company. So mm-hmm. the four of us essentially embody the Able Company. And the Able Company is all about sustainability and innovation. It's about mm-hmm. breathing new life into wa- uh, into resources that we otherwise wasted and threw away. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we have so many fun ideas lined up. There's also a lot of, so for example, fruit peels. People eat all the fruit, but then mm-hmm, throw away mm-hmm. the skin. And that's a problem mm-hmm. because that's also waste. Yeah. So yeah. we want to use that and maybe make seltzers. We have ideas to. I have heard um, of something like that, actually, like using fruit waste <laughs> to create some sort of alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to get into that. Yes. And we want to do coffee beer with coffee grounds that get mm-hmm, wasted mm-hmm. from coffee shops. And we all know Hong Kong's a bustling hub for coffee stores and cafes. So there's a lot of that there as well. And then also we want to make merchandise at a spoiled milk so there's just we just have so many ideas and the best part I think for us is because we're young we have so much less to risk and so Mm -hmm, much less mm -hmm. to to lose and that's why we're able to kind of you know use this as a platform to make our wildest ideas come to life wow and just hearing (laughs) the passion in your voice like I know that you'll be doing innovating so much more and that's just really exciting (laughs) so like hearing you talk about all of this I forget that sometimes that you're still a student And I was just wondering, how do you manage balancing your own business with being a student at UST, which is, I'm sure, a very demanding university? And you're an engineering student, too, in your final year, (laughs) coming up to your final year, right? Yeah, tell me about it. (laughs) I think, I mean, for starters, I'm lucky in that a lot of what I learned in uni or a lot of, you know, my interactions with my different courses actually translates into how I approach things for Breer or for business in general. And Mm -hmm. that really helps. But I think to answer your question, and this is what I tell people a lot, is just that I've realized that when you love something, and this is something that's been inculcated in me 
since I was younger. So my parents have always told me one thing. If you do what you love, it will never feel like work and you'll never have to push yourself to do it because you'll have this intrinsic motivation within yourself to actually do it regardless of what the odds are. And I think that really came, you know, full circle for me once I started Breer because that's when I realized that that's what it meant. Because I remember studying for my exams and I would previously be so excited about taking a break and watching a TV show or eating my dinner. Mm -hmm. But now my excitement was right after I finished this chapter, I can go back to the Breer chat and see what's happening. I can go back and see what meeting we have set up for next week or I can hear the updates. And I Mm -hmm, think mm -hmm. just, you know, that small change was kind of the ticker in my mind that Mm -hmm, really reaffirmed mm -hmm. for me that if you love something, it just makes it a trillion times easier to do it. And I think that's just how I do it. Yeah. And what would you say to a university student who also wants to start their own business like you, but is a little afraid to take that first step? I would definitely say that as university students, we have two things. One, a larger appetite for risk because we don't have much to lose to begin with. We're just about to start, you know, a very large trajectory of our life. And so at this point, if you try something and it doesn't work, it's going to hurt a lot less than if you tried it maybe 10 years down the line and it didn't work because that would be time that you could have spent doing perhaps something else. But because here you're studying, you're still figuring things out for yourself. You have so much more time and a lot more resources. So in universities, you get access to university grants, you get access to the university's entrepreneurship center that wants to give you the support. So, you know, if it works out, that's amazing because now you've paved that way for yourself with the support of these resources. But if it doesn't work out, then you didn't miss out on much because you're still studying and you can start again. So I think that would probably be my advice. And I wish someone told me this uh, when we were starting off, because then I would be a lot more excited and a lot more proactive about kind of making Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship come into my life rather than kind Mm -hmm. of the, you know, automatic, just manifesting way that it did. Yeah. And do you have any social entrepreneurs or thought leaders that you look up to? Social. So I actually have recently found a liking for Gary V. So he, okay. Yeah. So he did the V friends campaign and I thought that was very interesting because, Mm -hmm. and I think that kind of gave you a little look into his perspective of investing as well. So the crypto space is obviously buzzing. So he decided to do something in it, but there was one particular thing in that, that really caught my eye, which was the Sorcerer Scholarship. So essentially for, you know, those who might be really confused about what I'm talking about, WeFriends was basically, he created these NFTs and they were tokens that you could buy. Now, naturally, mm-hmm. these are tokens that you buy with Ethereum and to have Ethereum, you need a lot more money, so on and so forth. But he created one specifically for students and people who mm-hmm. probably didn't have that kind of money to mm-hmm. still get into the space and explore it. So it was a scholarship based thing you kind of just have to use your brain and you know be vidy about it and you apply and you see if you get it and I thought that that's kind of you know the true exemplification of a social entrepreneur of course you're thinking about the space that's up and thriving and Mm -hmm. catering to the masses but at the same time you need to remember that there's some people who just not who don't have the resources exactly in a position Mm -hmm. to make that decision for themselves no matter how interested in the space they are and to still cater to them and have something for them is equally as important so I think at the moment, it's probably going to be him. Wow. Okay. Okay. I have to say, I do not know that much about NFTs, <laughs> but I am looking into social impact investing and just mm-hmm. investing in causes and companies I believe in. Okay. So we've gone into finance a little bit. Let's go back to the problem of food waste. There's one more question I wanted to ask you, which is, are there other countries or other cities that you know about that have solutions to solving food waste in an interesting way? Yeah, I think one is a lot of the Western countries have an innovative way of recycling to start with. And I think mm. the amount of focus that they put on it like inherently helps with food wastage. So, you know, every week instead of someone just collecting coming to collect all your trash it's someone coming to collect your designated allocated sorted trash so the culture has become one that within your household itself you sort things into you know the mm-hmm, three different mm-hmm. recycling categories so that when the, the waste truck comes to collecting yeah it's already, it's already sorted. sorted so it basically minimizes the the time because mm-hmm. in hong kong workers would have to actually sort it instead of the people who created the waste right yeah Exactly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So I think, you know, that, and I think, yeah, for me, entrepreneurship is very interesting and social entrepreneurship, especially because I think that's something as simple as even opening up a cafe is a form of entrepreneurship because yeah, for you're sure. actually going after, you know, your passion and making mm-hmm, it happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think just the different kind of, you know, joints or cafes or restaurants that try to make that small change. So the hotel I'm staying at right now, for example, just a small things that they do that you know when we get food every day they're not allowed to give us actual plates or actual bowls and Mm -hmm. so they serve us everything in paper as opposed to plastic Mm -hmm. which I know a lot of the other um, hotels in Hong Kong are doing I asked for straws today and I was expecting a plastic straw or at best a paper straw but I got a bamboo straw Mm -hmm. so you know these small differences that just go on to Mm -hmm. and it does make a difference it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm, yeah. And mm-hmm. they've given everybody a set of cutlery that you can use. You know, it's really nice. It's also bamboo cutlery, but then it's steel. And so it's reusable. So just, you know, the small things that they're doing to make sure that mm-hmm, you have mm-hmm. no excuse. Yeah. And this also shows to a lot of people who want to become social entrepreneurs that there are opportunities everywhere you look like mm-hmm. with cutlery, with a straw, like with every little thing, there are opportunities yeah. to create impact. I would love to now ask you some up to some good questions, which I always ask my guests. And yeah. the first question is, if I gave you 1 million US dollars, what would you do with it? And Basically, I feel you've already given me an answer just now by telling me about all the exciting projects that you would want to do to take Bria further. But yeah, maybe just to summarize, if I gave you a 1 million US dollars, what would you do with it? Uh, that's actually a very interesting question. There's so many different suggestions yeah. coming to my yeah. mind. But the one that came to my mind first is I've always been very passionate about trying and wanting to make a difference in India specifically. So India is one country that at its scale is huge. And um, naturally, when it's huge, the wealth disparity is also very huge. So it's down to the point where anywhere you go in India, within five minutes, you'll see one of the tallest skyscrapers in the entire country right next to an area of a slum. And just that kind of disparity really puts Mm. into your face the, the difference and the hardships that the people go through. The wealth gap as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think I would want to take this money or take at least a portion of this money to A, help these people get access to proper health care because a lot of them don't. And that's the reason obviously there is a lack of awareness and you can blame them because how are they supposed to know about it mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it just gets to the point where even getting access to basic health care and education is so difficult for them so you know I've always wanted to maybe open a school for little girls that I imagine would want to study or little boys who would want to study and become mm-hmm. something big in their lives mm-hmm, but not mm-hmm. getting that opportunity so I would want to do some, you know, philanthropic work, get that That's happening. That's beautiful. I love that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. yeah, I think that would probably be the first thing that I would want to do. Mm-hmm. And then that also gives Amazing. me a way to do my favorite things. I would have to travel there. So I get to travel. Yeah. And yeah, of course, it's it's great world kind mm-hmm. of exploration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So secondly, can you tell me about an individual or a business that you think has been up to some good recently? Ooh, this is interesting. Let me think. I think I'm a very huge fan of what Green Common has been able to achieve Mm. here in Hong Kong and now even beyond. Just today, I saw that they did, they have a partnership going on with IKEA in Hong Kong. They actually launched in the US. And I think the scale and the pace at which they're growing is really, really amazing. I've been vegetarian all my life and I'm a huge fan of plant-based meat. I love it. What's your favorite brand of plant-based meat? Trust me, I, I promise you, I love it all. There hasn't been uh-huh. one. So Beyond is a little bit of one that I'm like a little on and off with. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I really do love everything. Mm. I'm a sucker for plant-based meat. And so the fact that, you know, Hong Kong is thriving on it now and everywhere I go, I know I can have at least one option if it's a supermarket, if it's a restaurant. And so I think the work that they've done is really, really amazing. And they're constantly, you know, expanding. And we're actually talking to them as well about hopefully getting our beer at their stores. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think they're definitely up to some good and they'll be up to some great good if they, you know, get our beer on their stores. (laughs) Yes, I agree. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) Finally, what, what do you like doing when you feel up to no good? I know you're super busy with all your studies and with career, but when you just want to have some downtime, what do you enjoy doing? Super easy sleeping. 
I think sleep is the solution to all your problems and you just enter a whole different world. So sleeping would be my yeah, answer. I agree. I agree. I mean, no matter how busy you are, even, even Anushka, who's like a superwoman, <laughs> CEO of, of a business. And like, she has tons of tons more things she wants to do. Like she still needs to sleep. So everybody needs to sleep. And I think just a good night's sleep really solves a lot of issues. Like you wake up the next it morning feeling so much more clear and refreshed and just more energized to go on your, the rest of your day. And yeah. I think it's a sign that, you know, some of those naps really hit the spot only when you're super exhausted. So if you just look forward to it, it's definitely a treat. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. So for the guests who want to immediately try Briar right after listening to this podcast, can you tell us where we can find you? Yeah, for sure. So we're available right now in a zero waste sustainability store in Hong Kong called Edgar. And we're also in an online liquor store called Liquids. Liquids. And hopefully um, by next month in summer, we'll be in pizza huts around the city. So mm. that's pretty exciting. Wow, that is really exciting. But right now you it's not available to order online, right? Our website is actually under development. Mm. But if you send us a DM on our Instagram, we can definitely arrange something for buying our beer. Okay. So everybody hearing this, remember to send them a DM. Anushka, thank you so much for being with me today. I honestly really enjoyed this conversation. Same here, Claudia. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. What you do on your podcast is amazing. And I look forward to listening to this episode and then going back and listening to some of the other episodes again. (laughs) And I cannot wait to hear about all the amazing projects that that are coming up for a beer. And to try, I don't know, like all the beer beer made from all the different types of bread, as well as your <laughs> other experiments that are coming up. As always, thank you again for tuning in to this episode of Up To Some Good. I'm really happy that you're all on this journey with me to learn more about inspiring individuals, organizations, and projects that are giving back to this planet and to our society. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. You can also follow us on Instagram at upto underscore some good for podcast updates, as well as other content about social impact and sustainability. If there's a person in your life who you think would enjoy this episode, please share it with them. I always think that sharing inspiration and things we learn is a form of sending and sharing love, especially during this time of COVID when a lot of us can't really see our friends and family in person. It's really good to connect in this way. Also, If you think that there's a person around you or businesses around you who are doing good and giving back to our society and the planet, please feel free to DM me and share more of their details with me. I'd love to be able to learn about them and feature their story. In the meantime, stay healthy, do some good, and see you next time.